Pastor John Ortberg tells a story that I really love. It's in a, in a message that he did called The Empty Tomb, how, how Will You Respond? And he says this, he said, A friend of mine used to work as a denominational official in Minnesota, and one of his jobs was to travel to little rural communities where they didn't have churches to do funerals. So they kind of went out, he went out with a funeral director, and they, and they helped people that were in grieving uh, to, to have a funeral wherever they were. So he would go out with an undertaker, and they would drive together in the undertaker's hearse. One time, they were on their way back from a funeral, and my friend John, who was feeling quite tired, decided he would take a nap. Since they were in a hearse, he thought, well, I'll just lie down in the back of the hearse. (laughs) Sounds like a creepy thing to do, but this is a true story. The guy who was driving the hearse pulled into a service station because he was running low on gas. The service station attendant was filling up the tank, but he was a little bit freaked out because there was a body stretched out in the back of the vehicle. While he was filling the tank, John woke up, opened his eyes, and knocked on the window and waved at the attendant, who seemed rather surprised. John said he never saw anybody run so fast in his entire life. I thought that was a great story. And the point of the story is this. Resurrection is not a normal occurrence. It is a suspension of the natural order of things. It's a suspension of the laws that even God put up. He has given us the the boundary of time and space. And he says, you have so many years to live on the earth. But the good news is, this is all just prologue for what God has for us in eternity. So when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was not a natural occurrence. Even people that knew him and saw him, remember, uh, Mary goes to the garden and she says, she thinks he's the gardener. Why? Because her mind would not allow her to understand that he had come back from the dead. He even told them that he was going to rise from the dead. And yet, they couldn't wrap their minds around it. How many of you know when you've never seen anything, you don't have context to put it in? So this morning, I just want to talk briefly about how do we know we can really trust the story of the resurrection? And I've thought this through over the years many times, and I, as I go revisit it, there's more and more research all the time. But let's just pray that God would open our hearts. Father, I know as we talk about that this morning, many of us already believe. Lord, I believe because I sense your presence in my life. You've changed me. You've transformed me. Lord, there might be people here, though, that have never experienced that. And I pray, Lord, this morning that you would open our hearts, open our minds, open our understanding to really get a grip on what this story is all about. Like the guy in the gas station, Lord, we probably don't have context for what we're seeing or what we're hearing. And I just pray that you would open up our understanding today to what happened 2,000 years ago. Because, Lord, this, this is not just a story. This is something foundational to our faith and what's going to happen in all of human history. So give us that understanding today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says this, starting in verse 12. He says, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. How important is the teaching on the resurrection? Paul sums it up right there. He said, if you don't believe in the resurrection, then none of the rest makes any sense. 
And we need to take heed to this because there are a lot of people that want to make Jesus in their own image. They want to create their own version of Jesus. They want a little bit of Jesus here. And remember, uh, years ago, I talked about the hippie Jesus, the Republican Jesus, the Democrat Jesus, and this Jesus and that Jesus, the sports Jesus. You know, there are all these different images that people have. But the real Jesus makes statements, and you have to take him at his word because nobody in their right mind would claim what Jesus did unless he were the Son of God and he was who he said he is. You have to take the whole package. You can't just say he was a nice uh, a prophet. And a friend of mine uh, wrote in his blog this week, he had an experience, and apparently this has happened in Cuyahoga Falls at the mosque there on Steele's Corners. And uh, he was there, he was asked to speak, the mayor was there, and they were having a community day, and they had opened up. And he went in, and he, they were talking about Jesus, and he got up, they allowed questions, and he says, well, do you think Jesus is the Son of God? Do you think that he was God revealed in human flesh? And they said, well, no, we think he was a good prophet. We think he was a, a moral man. And he says, well, you can't take Jesus on your own terms. You either take him for who he said he was or don't take him at all. And he sat down. I don't know if it went well at the mosque. But I want you to think about this. Scripture says we don't have the right to preach another gospel than the one that was preached by the apostles and by the Lord Jesus Christ. I respect people for what they believe, and you have a right to believe whatever you want, but you can't take Jesus by pieces and parts and take and leave the rest. The resurrection is an important part of the gospel story. It says in verse 17, let me read it again, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Aren't you glad that Jesus wasn't just a good moral teacher? He was a lot more than that. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. In other words, if Jesus was just another guy, forget it. So let me tell you why I believe in the resurrection. I want to give you seven brief reasons why I believe in the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, if we go back to verse 1, he says, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you. And this is the first reason there were living witnesses in Jesus' day that could not be refuted. Living witnesses. He says, Brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. He was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And then he says this, and that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living. So Paul was making a statement that people had received because they were there, because they saw it. He says, though some have died, but he says, then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Paul in his day can boast that there are still many alive who saw Christ in those public meetings. It was something they couldn't refute. If there were people that could have refuted the statement, the matter could have been easily laid to rest, but it wasn't. Even crowds of people, as many as 500 at a time, heard him teach before he ascended back to the Father. The second reason, people don't die for something that they don't really believe in. Listen, there are lots of religious imposters out there, but they rarely will lay their lives down. 
They might be killed, that's different. But they will rarely willingly lay their life down. The followers of Jesus had no vested interest in standing by the resurrection story. And there were others that had claimed resurrection. In fact, the people that followed Jesus suffered greatly in standing by the truth. They made no money from the story. They lost all that they had. They gained no advancement in society. In fact, they suffered to death. Almost all the apostles died as martyrs. John Ankenberg, in an article entitled Crash Goes the Da Vinci Code, says this, quote, At the end of his life, Peter was crucified upside down in Rome during Emperor Nero's persecution, A.D. 64. Previous to this, Peter had written two epistles to help other Christians being persecuted. Peter probably wrote from Rome at the outbreak of Nero's persecution. Having already endured beating at Herod's hands, Peter wrote his brothers in Asia probably to encourage and strengthen them in facing the Neronian persecution. It may well be that Peter recalled his Lord's injunctions, strengthen your brothers and feed my sheep. Paul, too, suffered persecution and was beheaded during the time of Nero in A.D. 64. The fact that the New Testament writers gave their lives in defense of their writings says something. No one chooses to die for something that was made up out of thin air. That's the second reason, I believe. People who lie to support a hoax usually run before the persecution comes. Okay, Number three, the New Testament is amazingly reliable. Did you know that the Bible is more reliable than even the documents that we have for Shakespeare that's 1,500 years younger than the Bible? We have more Testament evidence. There are more ancient documents to compare from the Bible, 24,000 copies of manuscripts that allow us to compare the different statements that were made, and they add up. It's amazing. The writings of the early church leaders in the first three centuries of the church confirm the New Testament. And by the way, I've heard people say, well, look, there, there are four different Gospels. You can tell right there, you, you know, they have four different versions. They're just four different perspectives of the same event. Come on, if you're all at an event, you, you share different parts of what you've seen, but they all corroborate the same story. Historians of Luke... The historian Luke wrote of authentic evidence concerning the resurrection. Sir William Ramsey, who spent 15 years, he's a British researcher, spent 15 years trying to undermine Luke's credentials as a historian and to refute the reliability of the New Testament, finally concluded, I have to say Luke is a historian of the first rank. This author should be placed along the very greatest of historians. And yet, Researchers today won't use the Bible because they consider it partisan literature. I want you to think about this. The Bible, really, the New Testament is 27 different books, all agreeing about the same thing. 66 if you take the whole Bible together. Again and again, historians have confirmed the authenticity of Scripture. They can't refute it. It happened. The fourth thing, the Roman government and the Jewish Sanhedrin. By the way, the Jewish Sanhedrin was recomposed two years ago. I don't know if you know that. For the first time in almost 2,000 years, there's now a, the Sanhedrin is back in action. We live in amazing times. The Roman government and the Jewish Sanhedrin had a powerful vested interest in squashing the resurrection story. Now, when people are in power and they control the press and they control the military 
and they control all the means of communication, how easy would it be to squash a small group of disorganized and fearful, supposedly fearful followers of Jesus? All they had to do was produce the body and put it on public display. I remember uh, my father did not talk too much about um, World War II because, well, he talked about the good things after the, everything was over. But he was part of the U.S. Army occupation force that came into Italy after um, the Nazis had been uh, chased out back into Germany and the fascists in Italy had been put down. He said that when he arrived in Milan, the former dictator Mussolini's body was still on display at a gas station in Piazza Loreto. And they left his body there, he and his girlfriend's body, as a testament to the people so that they could see that the great dictator and all the fascist movement was over. It seems like a really cruel and nasty thing to do, but it was the only thing that gave people hope that he was not going to come back and that the fascists were not going to be able to take over the country again. The Roman and Jewish leaders could have done the same thing with Jesus. All they had to do was come up with a body, and they couldn't do that. There was no body. So here's the question. How could a group of poorly trained disciples of Jesus with inferior weapons, what did they have, a couple swords? Rome was the military power of the day. How could they overpower a green beret guard of Roman troops? Remember that Pilate stationed a guard of 16 troops around the tomb where Jesus was. These were highly trained troops. Do you know what the penalty was for not following through on what Pilate had commanded them to do? Death. These guys had a pretty good reason to guard that tomb and to make sure that that body was there when they needed it. Guess what? One angel. <laughs> Listen, we don't know how many angels, all I know. It doesn't take many. These troops were professional. The tomb was sealed with Pilate's seal and ropes that were stretched over the rock and sealed with wax, sealing wax with Pilate's ring. Sealed by his authority. To break Pilate's seal meant death. The disciples had already fled the scene of the arrest. So they would have had to come in and overpower a Green Beret guard of 16 people, break Pilate's seal, and roll a rock that weighed one and a half to two tons away, and then get Jesus out. Matthew 27, verse 62 says, The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he's been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. They were ready. Something you find out about the Jewish leaders that were corrupt, at least they listened to Jesus. They knew what he said. <laughs> Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting guard. There you have it. Despite the attempts of the Jewish, Roman, and provincial leaders, three days later, the tomb was empty. The followers of Jesus said that Jesus had been raised from the dead and nobody was able to refute their story. Now Matthew's account 
tells us probably, well, not probably, tells us really what happened behind the scenes, what actually happened. Matthew 28, 10, Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers and go to Galilee. There they will see me. This is after the resurrection. And while the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. Now, if you were one of those guards that was guarding the tomb, what would you be doing about now? Head to Syria, turn right, go to Turkey, keep going, Iran, Iraq, just keep going that way, okay? They had a problem, okay? It says some of the guards went into the city and they went to the chief priests. Notice they didn't go to their Roman commander because they knew it was going to happen. They would have been killed. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you're to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. The fix was in. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews and Americans and Europeans and other people to this day. I added that last part. The fifth reason why I believe in the resurrection. There are some people that say perhaps Jesus wasn't dead. As a matter of fact, this was called the swoon theory, that Jesus maybe just swooned, he passed out, he had a bad time on the cross, and uh, they put him in the, the, there's actually a name for that, that he was in a coma and that he was revived by his disciples. A woman wrote radio Bible teacher, uh, J. Vernon McGee, anybody ever listen to J., he's still on the radio, I love his voice, J. Vernon McGee. (laughs) And she wrote to him, and this is what the letter she said, she said, Pastor McGee, our preacher said that on Easter, Jesus just swooned on the cross and that the disciples nursed him back to health. What do you think? Now, if you know J. Vernon McGee, you know he's going to be a little bit sarcastic here. He says, Dear sister, beat your preacher with a leather whip for 39 heavy strokes, nail him to a cross, hang him in the sun for six hours, run a spear through his heart, embalm him, put him in an airless tomb for three days, and see what happens. And get back to me. Don't you dare. I, I believe in the resurrection. <laughs> so could Jesus have been buried and been in a coma and a coma state and, and revived? Here's what we know. Again, Roman soldiers who carried out crucifixion knew very well what they were doing. They made sure that Jesus was dead before the burial. The lance in his side with the blood and water was evidence that his heart had burst, that essentially... Uh, he, had, he had died of cardiac arrest, and it was over. That's why the soldiers did not break his bones. He was already dead. A lot of times when people were on the cross, they would actually break their leg bones so that people would die faster. It sounds like a terrible thing. There's nothing good about crucifixion. But it was compassionate to let them die sooner. He was then prepared for burial by his friends. The body of Jesus, in accordance with Jewish burial customs, was wrapped in a linen cloth, and they would wrap it from head to feet. The first, I think it was called a winding cloth. They would wrap it around. In each layer, they would put more herbs. 100 pounds of aromatic spices were mixed together to form a gummy substance, and they were applied to the wrappings of cloth around the body. After that, they would wrap it uh, around like this. And he was placed in a solid rock tomb. An extremely large stone was rolled against the entrance of the tomb. Large stones weighing approximately up to two tons were normally rolled by means of levers against a tomb entrance so people could not get in and rob things that were left in the tomb. 
So his body was wrapped with a cloth from head to foot, and then he was bound, wound by a winding cloth to keep the spices in place. If he had been alive, would his friends have bound him and prepared him for burial? The possibility of breathing after the burial preparation could not have happened. He wouldn't have been able to breathe. There are too many opportunities for people to have realized that Jesus was really dead. I mean, they they would have known. The sixth reason that I believe in the resurrection is the historians writing in Jesus' day confirm the story. There are writers outside the Bible that talk about this Jesus who rose from the dead. Whether they believed it or not, they reported that this story was widely known among the Jews and widely known in the Holy Land. Josephus, in his book Antiquities of the Jews, uh, in chapter 18, verse 33, says this, Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man. For he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men that received the truth with pleasure. And he drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ. Historian calls him the Messiah. Interesting. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at the first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again on the third day. As the divine prophets are foretold, these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him and the tribe of Christians so named from him are not extinct at this day. That was uh, right before 100 A.D. and the 90s A.D. Roman historian Tacitus writes about 20 years later in 109 A.D. of Christ who has suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate. This is what he says, quote, But not all the relief that could come from man, not all the bounties that the prince could bestow, nor all the atonements which could be presented to the gods availed to relieve Nero from the infamy of being believed to have ordered the conflagration, the fire of Rome. Hence, to suppress the rumor, he falsely charged with guilt and punished Christians who were hated for their enormities. Christus, the founder of the name, was put to death by Pontius Pilate, procurator of Judea in the reign of Tiberius. There's a historical record about Jesus outside the Bible, and people wrote about him in a lot of different ways. It's a part of history. And right now, I really believe this, there is an attempt to destroy history generally. History is not being held in high regard. Books are disappearing, things are disappearing, and people are creating alternative histories. I think it's demonic. I have to tell you that. Because history, not to be corny, is his story. He is part of the fabric of everything that has happened. People want to change and do away with what's happened in the past, but it's pretty clear. We're downsizing right now. Janice said, do you want to get rid of some of those books? And I thought, I've got Josephus, I've got Tacitus, I've got all these different writers, all these different people. And I thought, I'm not going to get rid of those because guess what? If you go to the library, they're starting to disappear. Have you been to the library recently? Watch what books are disappearing. Classics. Yep. Second Peter 1. This is the seventh reason, the final reason I believe in the resurrection I believe it because the prophets foretold it for hundreds of years before Jesus came. And they told the story even before he was born, before any of this happened, with such exquisite detail. 
2 Peter 1 says, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. I have to tell you, sometimes people say, how can you scientifically prove the resurrection? I don't think science is, I don't think biology or uh, chemistry or things like that can prove it. It's too long ago, but I think we can look at the forensic and the historical evidence and prove it that, that way. Do you hear what I'm saying? When you're in a court of law, what do you want? You want reliable witnesses. The New Testament is a collection of reliable witnesses that actually experienced this Jesus. They held him. They walked with him. John clung to him as a young man leaned on him. We have this picture. I mean, he, he was with them and went from village to village. Peter goes on in verse 17. He says, For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. His disciples heard God the Father speak a blessing over his son. He said, We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven, and we were with him on that sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. In other words, these stories aren't made up by the writers of the Bible. They came by revelation to these men. God revealed to them and showed them, but they experienced and they touched him with their own hands. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Maybe Peter was thinking of Isaiah 53 that describes the suffering of Christ in detail 750 years before Jesus was born. Maybe he was thinking of Psalm 22, David's psalm, where David talks about uh, having his mouth dry up and how his hands and feet are pierced. How, how is that part of a psalm? David is prophetically seeing what's going to happen with the Messiah many years later. And that came... 1,100 years before Jesus was born. Let me close with this. read an interesting article by a man named Dr. Ian Hutchinson, professor of nuclear science and engineering at MIT. And I guess they have a Bible study. They have a group of professors that are Christian that meet together. I love this. He explains why he and his Christian colleagues at MIT agree with believing scientists of previous ages. And I don't have time to read the whole article, but he talks about Sir Isaac Newton. He talks about Blaise Pascal. He talks about all these amazing scientists from previous generations that believed in Jesus. He says, we believe in a literal, bodily, historical resurrection of Jesus Christ. Science cannot and does not disprove the resurrection. Natural science describes the normal, reproducible working of the world of nature. Science functions by reproducible experiments and observations. Miracles are, by definition, abnormal and non-reproducible. We can recreate natural laws. You can't reproduce a miracle, okay? So they cannot be proved by science methods. Today's widespread materialist view that events contrary to the laws of science just can't happen is a philosophical doctrine, not a scientific fact. By the way, many people that are 
secularists that don't believe in anything or is religious, probably more religious than you and me. And if you touch their cardinal doctrines like evolution, watch them go off. Let me, can I stop here a second and tell you, I was at um, the Natural History Museum many years ago when our kids were younger and watched a group from, I think it was Lutheran West High School that were interacting with a professor from Case Western Reserve and they were talking about evolution and these kids were really schooled well. They were uh, Christian Lutherans that had been discipled and they were asking good questions until finally this professor got mad and shamed them and yelled at them right there. And I, and I thought to myself, they touched a, a point of her religious doctrine and she really got mad, but she never answered their questions because they had really good questions. There are lots of different religions out there, folks. I don't want to be religious. I just want to believe in Jesus. He says, contrary to an increasingly popular opinion, science is not our only means for accessing truth. In the case of Jesus' resurrection, we must consider the historical evidence. And the historical evidence for the resurrection is as good as for almost any event of ancient history. The extraordinary character of the event and its significance provide a unique context, and the ancient history is, necess is necessarily hard to establish, but a bare presumption that science has shown the resurrection to be impossible is an intellectual cop-out. Science shows no such thing. And I say, go Dr. Hutchinson. Yes, we need good, godly college professors. Can I say something here too, by the way? I'm not afraid of anybody's theory. Just don't pretend it's a fact. We can talk, and we can talk about theories, and we can and be open-minded, and I'm not afraid of what anybody believes. But when you become so fearful that your theory, people aren't going to believe in it, that you shut out all other things, what they've done in our schools, that's wrong. Just had to say that. I want to say that I believe the resurrection because on a night many years ago at Kent State, in a room where a couple guys were having a beer, God revealed himself to me. And when my roommates came in later with their girlfriends and wanted to know what happened before the night was over, another one of them came to believe in Jesus. And he had such a, my roommate Joe had such a spiritual revelation that night because he had to be delivered from a demonic thing. And this is the first time I ever experienced thing like, and he called out the name of Jesus and the power of God fell on him. And he said, this is real. I believe it because God has revealed himself to me. I've experienced his resurrection power. That doesn't mean I want to know, I don't want to know intellectually because I do. I want my head and my heart to agree. And it's okay to ask questions. So here's my question for you. Do you believe? Do you believe in the resurrection? The late Wolfhart Pannenberg, who was a Lutheran theologian, sums up what could be the real issue why many don't believe. He says this, quote, The evidence for Jesus' resurrection is so strong that nobody would question it except for two things. First, it's a very unusual event. Second, if you believe it happened, you have to change the way that you live. Could that be the real issue, why some people don't want to talk about the resurrection? Because if Jesus did rise from the dead, his words take on a new dimension. And it demands that we live our lives a different way. It demands that we hear what he had to say. 
and if we will experience the transforming power of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. Can we just take a moment, and I just want us to reflect on what, we, what I shared today. Let's just bow our heads. On this day that we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, for some of you in this room, this could be a marker moment where you say, you know what? I don't know why I haven't believed, but this makes sense to me. I want to tell you that you can pray right now and open up your heart and say, Lord, I, I want to know you. Even if you may still have doubts in your life, I have to be honest with you as a believer, there are many doubts that I've had and I've talked to the Lord about it openly and I've studied and I've worked over the years and my faith has grown stronger and stronger. But there comes a moment where you just have to say, Lord, I just want to take a leap here and I just want to believe what you've said. I want to ask this morning, is there anybody here that has never received the Lord or maybe you've never committed your life to Christ and you say, I believe that he did rise from the dead and I want to pray. I just want to give my life to him. Would you just raise your hand? I believe this morning, Pastor Jeff and I both felt that there would be people here. God is calling you to a decision right now. And I believe this. Some of you have been around religious circles for a long time, but you've never made a decision. And the Lord is giving you an opportunity today. You can experience the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ. I brought a number of books today. It's called 30 Days of Prayer for Spiritual Transformation. And I said, Lord, if there's anybody here that makes that decision today, I want to give this to you before you leave today. Is there anybody? Thank you, Lord. If God is speaking to you and you want to make that decision, would you come up and talk to me? Or you can talk to Pastor Jeff after the service. We'll be up here for a while. Let's stand together. Thank you, God. Can we just give thanks to the Lord again? We bless you, Lord. We give you praise and glory and honor. We thank you, Lord, that you have established, Father, your faith in our hearts. We thank you, Lord, for many of us, Lord, that throughout the years you've revealed yourself to us. I think of the prayer of Paul where he prays, God, give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation that they may know you, Jesus Christ, that they may understand what you came to do, Lord, that they may understand the inheritance that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, it all starts with a resurrection. From that moment on, you broke the power of sin for those of us that would repent of our sin. From that moment on, you broke the power of shame. From that moment on, you gave us the ability to say no to sin. You gave us the power and authority to live a new life, not in our own strength, but by the power of your spirit. And I thank you, Lord, that you just didn't tell us to shape up and live a good life. You gave us the power and authority to be transformed so that we could live the way that you want us to live. We thank you, God, and we praise you. We bless you, God. Lord, as we go, uh, many of us are going to be with our families today or with friends and uh, just to commemorate your resurrection, to celebrate your resurrection. Lord, just help us to be sharers of the hope that we have in Christ, the hope that we have in you. Fill us with your boldness and with your joy and with your love, God. And we thank you so much, God, for your goodness to us. We thank you. 
for the resurrection. And we thank you for the new life that we have in you. We bless you, God, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Well, let's go in the blessing of the Lord and be a blessing to other people today. Don't hold back. Share the good news. 